Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. A more concrete delineation of the Burgundy Regional Appellation may change which communes are allowed to use the Bourgogne AOC designation. Bordeaux seeks 300 million euros from the French government to compensate for the damaging impact of U.S. trade tariffs. From Bordeaux to Beijing, a new Cité du Van is set to open in Beijing in 2021. Miraval partners with Champagne House Pierre Peters to create first rosé-only Champagne House. And as ever, our wine of the week. I'm still here in France, uh, currently in Bordeaux. The highlight of my week has been visiting Cahors, an historic region in southwest France, which Katie visited about a year and a half ago, and she was so excited by it that I wanted to visit it when I had the chance, and as I'm in the area this week, I definitely wanted to make a stop there. And it is a fascinating region. It's the only one in France dedicated to Malbec. Uh, Merlot and Tanat are also allowed in the blend, but the trend is certainly for producers to focus solely on Malbec, And it's a long time since I've been to a region where I've tasted wine solely from one grape variety, Malbec, and yet tasted so many different styles of wine, all of a consistent quality, but with their own subtle differences according to the site and the soil, and also the winemaker's intentions. So partly that comes from the site. Cahors is based around the river Lot, and the vineyards rise up from the river, beginning on what are called the terrasse, with alluvial soils at the bottom, and these produce the fruitier, rounder styles of wine. And then as you go further up, the soils change to more limestone by the time you get to the plateau at the top, which is 350 metres, and these produce more lean and elegant wines. Also important are the winemaker's intentions, and there's different trends in um, Cahors, from the traditional rustic, tannic style of Cahors which is designed for ageing, to fresher wines which are more about the purity of the fruit rather than oak and winemaking, so very different styles and those are often made by uh, younger winemakers, the new generation. So an interesting region which is going through quite a bit of change and I know the Cahors authorities are really uh, trying to advertise what Cahors is and how it's changing and certainly the wines speak to that. Glad to hear the trip is going well. No doubt you ate your weight in foie gras. That's what I did when I was there, and it proved to be a delicious accompaniment to all the black wines of Cahors. So meanwhile, in California, it's been all event prep for me. We've got Export 2020, hosted by California Wine Institute, uh, which will be held next week on February 18th in Napa. So lots of preparations going into that. And I'm particularly excited as it's such an international gathering. We've got Jancis Robinson and W coming in to deliver the keynote address alongside wine writer and educator Elaine Chacon Brown, Andrew Catchpool, editor of Harper's Wine and Spirit in the UK, and other wine industry experts, including George Soleus, president and CEO of Liquor Control Board of Ontario in Canada, and representatives from System Blogget, Sweden's alcoholic drinks monopoly plus market specialists from Mexico, Asia, and Europe. I'm also looking forward to the CIA Summit for Sommeliers and Beverage Professionals, presented by the Culinary Institute of America, which is an annual conference for the wine and beverage industry focused on mentorship, management, hospitality, and leadership to help support career growth in these areas. I'll be moderating the peer-to-peer speed networking exercise, Building Your Community, and so it would be great to have some of you listeners there. It's a three-day event, March 1st through the 3rd, and registration is now open at www.ciaatcopia.com. So just look under upcoming events. And we've got a discount code for you. You can use BEVPRO referral. so that's B-E-V, 
P-R-O-R-E-F-E-R-R-A-L for $70 off your ticket. So to round out a busy week of all things events, I also managed to make it out to the venue of the 2020 Batonage Forum, the Women in Wine event, now produced by my colleague Rebecca and me, at Sonoma Broadway Farms. So the property was generously donated by owner Preston Raisin for our use on June 16th for the one-day conference, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So the agenda is coming together, and if you'd like to attend or get involved in some way, stay up to date at www.batonageforum.com. And now, on with the news. The Institute National de l'Origine et de la Qualité, INAO, responsible for regulating French agricultural products with protected designations of origin, met in Montreuil, France, last week to discuss implementing more concrete boundaries for the AOC Bourgogne appellation. Prior to the meeting, there was talk that the new boundaries could revoke the right of 64 northerly communes, including the whole of Chablis, to use the Bourgogne AOC designation on their labels. This, unsurprisingly, was met with stark opposition from growers and producers. And on the day of the meeting, around 400 people protested outside the headquarters of the INAO. As a result, it appears the INAO has backed down, and, for the time being, all communes to the north will retain their AOC Bourgogne appellation. The second, and perhaps even more controversial outcome of the INAO's decision to redefine Burgundy's borders is to include Beaujolais and its 43 communes as part of the Bourgogne AOC. While this idea was also met with great resistance from locals, it remains open-ended, as no conclusion was drawn at the February 6th meeting. Beaujolais labelled as Bourgogne could still very well be a possibility in the future. Well, bureaucracy, as we well know, takes time, especially in the EU, so who knows if in fact this does go through with regard to Beaujolais, when we would actually see this take effect. And who's to say that Beaujolais producers would be interested in labeling their wines with Bourgogne AOC designation? Thoughts, Matthew? I have to say, I don't like these proposals, and I'm not surprised about the controversy that they have provoked among um, locals and people in the wine business. Chablis has historically and traditionally been part of Burgundy, and so um, having Bourgogne as part of its appellation status and uh, the surrounding appellations that um, are around Chablis should really be, uh, should continue, because it's part of its tradition and part of its identity. Although some of those appellations that do surround Chablis that all have Bourgogne attached to the name, they're quite obscure, so I'm not really sure how important that is. However, making Beaujolais part of Bourgogne AOC is plain wrong. Beaujolais is just completely different from the rest of Burgundy. Different soils and, of course, different grape variety, as well as a different style of wine. So that really should remain independent and its own thing. I do agree, as does the Syndicat de Bourgogne. I particularly appreciated this statement uh, from the organization in response to the INAO's proposal. If a Beaujolais becomes a Bourgogne, then why shouldn't a Cremant de Bourgogne become a Champagne? or a Luberon, a Cote de Rhone. The whole notion of geographical indication will be called into question by this decision on the part of the INAO. Despite the fact that the U.S. backed down from its threat to impose a 100% tariff on European wines that it initially proposed in December of last year, the mere proposition of such an increase coupled with the existing 25% tariffs that was established in October, has rattled the wine world on both sides of the pond. So much so that the Bordeaux Wine Trade Association, Conseil Interprofessionnel du Vin de Bordeaux, or CIVB, 
reported exports of Bordeaux wines to the U.S. fell by 46% in value and by 24% in volume since the 25% tariffs took effect. What makes Bordeaux particularly vulnerable to the trade dispute between the U.S. and France is that the U.S. market is Bordeaux's second largest market behind China, with a 4.5% market share, which the CIBB says they are losing to Italy. As a result, businesses are going bankrupt and French growers are losing money, with 100 million euros in losses predicted by the end of 2020, hence the ask for government support. So far, the French government has only responded by agreeing to draft a proposal for a Europe-wide fund, but as far as the CIVB is concerned, that won't be enough, and they will continue to petition for more. Well, tariffs continue to rock the wine industry, those that have been... um implemented and those that have been threatened so you can understand the nervousness of the french wine industry and their call for help so that they can survive this difficult period and generally france is very supportive of its wine industry seeing it as a core part of its culture as well as its economy so i'm sure that um, they'll come in and help somehow but whether it will be enough or in time remains to be seen and also remains to be seen um, which tariffs are implemented in the future where this situation gets worse or gets better. And let's not forget that the whole genesis of the tariff talk has nothing to do with the wine industry but with aircrafts. China's capital has announced plans to install an 18,000 square meter wine museum fashioned after Bordeaux's famed Cité du Van. The Musée Universal du Van is slated to open its doors next year in 2021, and is reportedly the first stage of a larger project to create an international wine village that will feature restaurants, hotels, and even vineyards in the Fangshan district of Beijing. Estimated cost is 60 million euros, or 66 US million dollars, for construction, which will be overseen by the same foundation that designed Bordeaux's Cité du Van. Inside the museum itself, design plans include a permanent exhibition space, auditorium, wine cellar, classroom, and a restaurant. As the name implies, wines from all over the world will be represented, but the focus will be on Chinese and French wines. Well, as it happens, I just visited Bordeaux City Divan the other day. Absolutely fantastic museum. Really impressed by it, the design and the interaction, and just how immersive it was for people who are either in the wine industry or who are not. So if they can replicate that in China, it could be a great fillip to China's burgeoning wine industry, both the domestic production as well as the imports. So we'll see see how this develops. Chateau Miraval, co-owned by Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, or Brangelina, and the Perenne family of Chateau Beaucastel in the Rhone, has been immensely successful in recent years with the super couple to back it and Provence Rosé thriving as a category. While Brangelina no longer exists, the couple split up last year, They both retain ownership in the brand along with the Perrins and are now partnering with Champagne's Pierre Peters to create a rosé champagne to add to the range. Presented as a standalone champagne house, this is the first of its kind in that it will produce only rosé champagne using the Saunier method. Pierre Peters is located in the Côte de Blanc and is known for being an expert in champagnes made from Chardonnay. Winemaker Rodolphe Peters will work with the Perrins on this new project, with the wine expected to release later this year. Well, they've certainly teamed up with a very high-quality and prestigious grower-producer, so this is set to be a more exciting and higher-quality project than the Rosé from Provence, which has been commercially very successful. So we'll see what it tastes like in the end. No doubt it'll be quite expensive and highly sought-after, so whether we'll get to taste it or not, we'll see. 
and it'll be interesting to see how they position it commercially, whether they will try to market as something popular to get people into drinking rosé champagne, or whether it'll be a high-end, very expensive wine uh, designed for luxury drinking associated with that brand and that couple. So we are big fans of Pierre Peter champagnes, not so much of Miraval. So it will be interesting to see what this rosé champagne is like. And now for our wine of the week, which will turn over to Matthew once again, as no doubt he has a favorite from all the delectable wines he's tasted in Caor. So what's in your glass, Matthew? Uh, the producer is Chateau Le Quasil, and the wine is Salis, and this producer is a very good example of the new generation of Cahors producers that's coming through. And I met Germain Quasil. His parents started uh, started in 1979. The first 10 years they were with a co-op, and then they bought their current house in 2000 and started making wine in their own right, and they're organic since 2010. And Germain joined in 2008 after he uh, finished university and he started making wine, uh, taking over from his parents. A real range of wines here, all from different sites and different soils, and so very subtle, different expressions of Malbec, very elegant, rather than the big rustic styles Cahors is traditionally associated with. And so they do make a really good entry-level wine, Le Croisillon, which um, is from a blend of sites and is a little bit carbonic. But then their different expressions of soil are really interesting. And I chose Salise, which is from um, sand and iron and limestone soils, which are higher up, really retaining the acidity and the freshness. And this is aged for a year in concrete tanks. And you get a really grainy structure to it and the fruits are crunchy that's what i really got with malbec in gahor a crunchiness to them and then there's always always that spice as well and also just to give an idea of the experimentation that german is uh, playing around with he also has two tanks made from limestone which look like uh, tombs in a cemetery and he joked that when they he built these limestone tanks with a friend of his that they didn't work out they could work as the the tombs when they pass away in the future uh, but they do work they're slightly porous so, that, so they allow some oxygen in so again, an example of uh, what producers are doing to try and make uh, things different and shake things up in Cahors. Cheers to that! So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. So we'll actually be taking a break next week, but never fear, we will be back in your feeds on Monday, February 24th. In the meantime, we ask that you leave us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts because the more ratings and words we have from our listeners, the easier it is for people to find us. So if you like us and want to spread the word, then do that. Cheerio! Cheerio.